cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. I am Alan Watts, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on Thursday, the 31st of December, 2009. For newcomers out there, look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com. That's the main website. Scroll down, bookmark all the other sites I have up there, and that way you can download the latest shows if the big sites go down again, which they will eventually. And you have a bunch to choose from. There's cuttingthrough.jenkness.com. CuttingThroughTheMatrix.net.us.ca there's, there's Alan Watt CuttingThroughTheMatrix.ca Alan Watt Sentinel.eu And the Sentinel site is a European site has all the same audios for download but it has a, uh, a lot of transcripts for download as well of a lot of the talks I've given over the past years and you can choose from the various languages of Europe print them up and pass them around to your friends and as always, I remind you that you're the, the audience that brings me to you. I'm not backed by any sponsor. I'm not backed by any company selling anything. The ads you hear in the show are paid by the advertisers straight to RBN for the airtime. And it pays for the show. It pays for the airtime. It pays for the staff. It pays for the bills at RBN. And it's up to you to keep me going. And go into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website, see what I have for sale, the books and, and discs that I have uh, for, for sale. And from the U.S., remember, you can use personal checks to Canada. That's accepted. You can also use uh, international postal money orders from the post office if you don't have a bank account. Some people just send cash. Others use PayPal. And you can also order the books through PayPal if you send a separate email. Outside the Americas, remember, same thing. Plus, you can use Western Union or MoneyGram or cash, or PayPal, again, it's up to you. But that keeps me going, as I say, and it's very expensive to do what I do here, and it's not just an hour per night, believe you me. Even after this show is over, it takes about five hours to upload all this stuff because of the speed cutback uh, that I've been given from ExploreNet for being a bad boy and seeing things I shouldn't about the Canadian government. But that's what happens when you're not author- authorized to be out there uh, speaking your mind and for those who they get a disc burned and passed to them to play on their CD players you can write to me at Alan Watt W-A-T-T site 41 box 4 Estair which is E-S-T-A-I-R-E Ontario Canada and the postal code is P as in Peter the number 3 E as in Elizabeth the number 4 N as in Nora number 1 P3E Four N one, and it's amazing. This is, again, so fast. This is this is New Year's Eve, and at one time we could look forward to the next year and hope hope with good justification sometimes that things would get better, but we haven't had that for quite some time. Going by what's been happening in the world and to our own countries over the last few years, especially since two thousand and one and watching the, the changes in governance, as they now call it, 
uh, we were really run by dictatorships in a sense. We're all bound together into a global system. We tend to cringe at the thoughts of what we planned for each year. And 2010, I'm sure they've got a lot planned for us, believe you me. They'd never let that number go by uh, without uh, giving us some really hard hits. But the thing is, when you're in a time of chaos, which these guys are very good at creating, you're kind of off balance, and you start to adapt much quicker and quicker into crazy situations, which before you wouldn't if you're you're hit with one at a time every 10 years. So this is a a technique they're using on the public, designed by very high masters of psychology at the top. Back with more after this break. the matrix just talking about the uh, the horrors to come you might say let's be honest about it we know there's horrors planned as the western world is really taken down as they amalgamated all together into the new dictatorial types of system uh, that they, they chose from and this is a long-term agenda as i say it was going on before we were born the only difference being then they had world wars to to bring the, these situations to pass to enable them to, to start amalgamating and set up international criminal courts, international monetary funds, uh, all of these kind of uh, systems that are attached to the United Nations and to give the United Nations its power as well. Long-term agendas, and people have a hard time believing that anyone could sit down and, and draft out a long-term agenda. Do you know how easy it is if you have a group of people with incredible, almost unlimited financial wealth at their disposal. How easy it is to do that, since every country goes cap in hand to them to borrow money every year from the international bankers. Aldo Huxley is up on YouTube. I think it's YouTube, uh, maybe other sites as well. But you'll hear some interviews he did in the 1950s with Wallace, I believe it is, and he talks about uh, how easy it would be for a small group of elitists with scientific backgrounds as well and incredible wealth to use those sciences. And he was talking mainly about sciences of the mind, sciences of mass mind control, uh, the Bernays types of characters, how easy it would be for them to take over a world. And he wasn't just dreaming out of his head he sat in on world's meetings on that very topic with his brother, Julian Huxley, and had done so from a very early age. So, yeah, they can plan it, and they do plan it. And you must have wars, as I say, conflict, to bring about change. Professor Carl Quigley himself said that wars have different purposes. One of them, of course, is economic. Every war is economic, no matter what reason a country gets for going over there, where over there happens to be. It's primarily economic, and it's never to serve the interests of the general population of the country that's going to send the troops over there. It always benefits a few. That's the history of warfare. But it's a, it's a secondary purpose, and that is to change the cultures of both sides of combatants. 
And that's what happens after wars, during war and afterwards. During war, governments expand uh, like cancers, uh, the governmental departments and bureaucracies, which step into different facets of private life, private business, private farming, private everything, and take all these things over to an extent, and they never let go. And at the end of wars, you have treaties signed, and for the the last century or so, it's been international treaties from the League of Nations down to the United Nations, which again gives away your sovereignty to this clique uh, in the United Nations. He also said that every president, and he was writing at that time in the 1960s, every president of the United States, regardless of party and his top advisors and so on, uh, were members of the Council on Foreign Relations. And he said they had been picking them for already 60 years. This Anglo-American establishment had been picking the, their leaders for the U.S. for 60 years, and that was written in the 1960s. With a global vision, of course, and a Darwinistic view of life, a belief in survival of the fittest, uh, with themselves being at the top of the pyramid, because the ones at the top had accumulated the wealth and held on to it through generations. Wealth is more than just wealth. It means power, power, political power, policy-making power, even war-making power. So, so that's, it, it goes together. And they had a plan, a great vision for the future. You'll hear them say this often, a, a man with vision is, is needed when the country languishes. And they supply the men of vision. It's never their own vision, of course. They're generally front men and patsies, but they certainly do what they're told by their masters. Today, the United States is taking the heat, and has been for some time, uh, for the state of affairs over in the Middle East and in Asia. This is set up to be that way, of course. Even when George Bush said, in 2001, he said uh, in his speeches, uh, oh, they hate us. It's the first time anyone had heard that term being used, that they, this big they, uh, hate us. Now, why would people hate the U.S.? And the citizenry are always, in every country, the citizenry are the last to know of what your armies and your big international corporations have been up to. You're the last to know as they go through different countries and the CIA uh, are assassinating people or taking down regimes and putting their own puppets in. That's an old technique that they learned from Britain. And eventually, uh, hatred builds up. But it's not the same kind of hatred as you would think, because we're living in a modern world of communication and education. And the peoples in those countries know that the, the American people are not running their governments. They know this. They're well, in fact, sometimes they're more well aware of it than American citizens. They know who's running the country. They know their background, their histories, their family backgrounds. But it doesn't make it any easier for them when the might of America is used upon them. And it's so interesting, too, to see that Brzezinski who helped design 
the last Afghanistan bogged down. It was a bogging down for the Russian army, and Brzezinski took some of the credit for that. And I've mentioned before that DVD where he's over there in the 70s telling them that their war would be a holy war as he, as he egged them on to get the war started against the Soviets, hoping the Soviets, the Soviets would get bogged down in a, a Vietnam-type situation. So you've got to ask yourself, why? Why? When these characters who understand these techniques of bogging a country down, the Kissingers and Brzezinski's, are all for bogging the U.S. and the Western countries down over in Afghanistan and Iraq, and eventually Iran, according to the, the policies, and then Syria afterwards. Why are they doing that? They're using the last of the power of the taxpayer of America with its weaponries to fulfill an agenda, a global agenda. And I've said it over and over, as they finish it off, they're taking down the American institution back home. They're taking the rug away from under your feet at the same time. And that's what's been happening steadily for many years now, even before 2001 but definitely gone up in rapidity since then. The financial crash was a planned crash. It was part of the course to further depoverish people within the United States. And far from creating massive anger, it's been temporarily cushioned, this whole financial meltdown, the planned meltdown. And the, many of the people can still turn on their TV sets, the ones that are still working, that is, and buy their little iPods, the new ones, and watch their favorite shows and play. They can play like they've never played before. Any other time in history, people will be talking to each other, bitching about things to each other, and that's when unrest starts, and then that's when change is demanded from the bottom. In the old days, the, 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 the politicians at least had to pretend they were listening. They don't even bother anymore, if you notice, at all. There's no pretense that there's even anything to do with you, in fact. They just rule you. But they also know, as I say, that millions of people are quite happy uh, going out to their favorite um, bars, going to a dance, uh, watching the movies, endless cheap entertainments so we can live in a fantasy land and never think about the hard facts of reality and where things are going. Mind you, the governments are all prepared, of course, across the Western world for the riots because I've gone over their blueprints from the Department of Defense, NATO and Britain and the U.S. military. Their, their projections for the next 30 to 50 years are all the same with riots starting around 2010 and speeding up due to even, even famine in some areas. And when you think about it, why on earth are people so stirred up over in the Middle East with the U.S.? Well, what the U.S. is doing over there is following what's called the Kirkpatrick Agenda, she first came out with this in the 70s, seeing America's role would be to dominate a lot of these countries in the long term. 
and therefore rather than go for one country at a time and bring the troops home, they would put in big bases, permanent bases, which they could use to hop off to the next country with. And that's what they're doing across the Middle East and Asia today. The people over there see it happening, and the people back in America are kept in the dark. They don't even know that they're paying for this ma- these massive installations to be built, permanent installations, for what you might say is perpetual war. But as I say, this all retaliation, and that's what's happening in the U.S. today from those abroad. Back with more after this break. Cutting through the matrix. Just talking about uh, the retaliation that comes upon the U.S. for deeds which most of the U.S. citizenry are completely oblivious of. And that's the way things are run today because we're kept out of all the big affairs of government, completely kept out, like a different species almost, and maybe that's not too too far from the truth. But, uh, Here's an article here from the Times Online, December 31st, 2009. And it says, Western troops are accused of executing 10 Afghan civilians, including children. And it shows you a photograph of Afghanistani protesters. Some of them are just children uh, shouting slogans and and, uh, banners protesting the U.S. military in Afghanistan. And it says American-led troops were accused yesterday of, of dragging innocent children from their beds and shooting them during a night raid that left 10 people dead. The Afghan government investigators said that eight school children were killed, all but one of them from the same family. Locals said that some victims were handcuffed before being killed. So that's execution style. Western military sources said the dead were all part of an Afghan terrorist cell responsible for manufacturing improvised explosive devices, which they call IEDs. They've got lovely little things, IEDs, which have claimed the lives of countless soldiers and civilians. This was a, this is, so these are the, the official thing that says, this was a joint operation that was conducted against an IED cell that Afghan and U.S. officials had been developing information against for some time, said a senior NATO insider. Look at the board on who's NATO, and you, you'll shudder, like Madeleine Albright's up there. You know, Miss Wonderful herself, the one who's got so much compassion for people that she starves whole nations to death. The British NATO official says, admitted that the facts about what actually happened were, went down uh, are in dispute. That means uh, it's probably true. The allegations of civilian casualties led to protests in Kabul and Jalalabad with children as young as 10 chanting death to America. That's how it would make friends and influence people, eh? and demanding that foreign forces should leave Afghanistan at once. President Karzai sent a team of investigators to Narang district in eastern Kunar province after reports of a massacre first surfaced on Monday. The delegation concluded that a unit of international forces descended from a plane Sunday night into Ghazi Khan village 
in the Rhine district of the eastern province of Kunar and took 10 people from their homes, eight of them school students in grades 6, 9 and 10, one of them a guest, the rest from the same family, and shot them dead, a statement on President Karzi's website said. Sadullah Wafa, who led the investigation, said that U.S. soldiers flew to Kunar from Kabul, suggesting that they were part of a special forces unit. At around 1 a.m. three nights ago, some American troops with helicopters left Kabul and landed about two kilometers away from the village, he told the Times. The troops walked from the helicopters to the houses, and according to my investigation, they gathered all the students from two rooms into one room and opened fire. Mr. Wafa, a former governor of the Helmand province, met President Karzai to discuss his findings yesterday. I spoke to the local headmaster. He said, it's impossible that they were al-Qaeda, they were children, they were civilians, and they were innocent, and I condemn this attack. In a telephone interview last night, the headmaster said that the victims were asleep in three rooms when the troops arrived. Seven students were in one room, said Rahman Jan Esas. A student and one guest were in another room, a guest room. And a farmer was asleep with his wife in a third building. First, the foreign troops entered the guest room and shot two of them. Then they entered another room and handcuffed the seven students. Then they killed them. Abdul Khalik, the farmer, heard shooting and came outside. When they saw him, they shot him as well. He was outside. That's why his wife wasn't killed. A local elder, Jan Mohammed, said that three boys were killed in one room and five were handcuffed before they were shot. I saw their school books covered in blood, he said. The investigation found that eight of the victims were aged from 11 years to 17. The guest was a shepherd boy who was 12 years old, called Samar Go, the headmaster said. He said that six of the students were at high school and two were at primary school. He said that all the students were his nephews. In Jalalabad, protesters set alight a U.S. flag and an effigy of President Obama after chanting death to Obama and death to foreign forces. In Kabul, protesters held up banners showing photographs of dead children alongside placards demanding foreign troops leave Afghanistan and stop killing us. That seems quite a natural request, doesn't it? Then it's got 10-year-olds here, protesters, one of them said, we're sick of Americans bombing us. The Americans are just all the time killing civilians. So anyway, and then you get NATO's spino. But as I say, there's no one in NATO you can trust at all when you look at the names of who runs NATO today. But that's, that's what they're bringing on in the U.S. Long-term trouble which is exactly what those within government the U.S. want. They want to keep this, this emergency state going for as long as they can, as they completely, completely alter the whole face and, and system of the U.S., the culture, way of life, everything. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
Diane Allen Watt were cutting through the matrix. I'll also put that link up on my site at the end of the show, cuttingthroughthematrix.com, and all the other articles I mentioned. I'll put up one too, and it's from April the 10th, 2009. I think it's from a, a Pakistani website with the casualties of all these drones, these unmanned drone aircraft that they're hyping on from the Pentagon, how wonderful they are. The things that cost you millions of dollars, of course, that uh, you, you all have to pay off, and your great-grandchildren, but then they love borrowing from the world bankers, uh, that government down there, same as Canada. And it says here, uh, 60 drone hits, and this is one month, 60 drone hits kill four Al-Qaeda men, and it kills 687 civilians in the process. Quite something. Lahore of the 60 cross-border predator strikes carried out by the Afghanistan-based American drones in Pakistan between January 14, 2006 and April 8, 2009. Only 10 were able to hit their actual targets, killing 14 wanted al-Qaeda leaders, besides killing 687 innocent Pakistani civilians. I don't think people realize the backlash, the intergenerational backlash this kind of stuff causes when when. If you're in the receiving end, you know uh, that if you live amongst a thousand people, if they want one person, uh, they'll kill all of you to get that one person because they don't think much of your lives in the first place. I'll put this link up. I'll give you all the different figures and data and so on as well. And there's a bill going through the U.S. Nobody's been on about the, the, the bill, and this is from Bloomberg, uh, December the 30th who went through this incredibly long, massively long bill as H.R. 4173, the financial reform legislation passed earlier in the month by the House of Representatives, and it's still be passed, I think, by the, the Senate. At least the Senate's going to put their own reform plan in. And everyone has heard what it was supposed to be about, but it's not. It's literally a guarantee of another $4 trillion should be, there be another crash to save the bankers. This is for all its heft, the bill doesn't one mention the words too big to fail, the main issue confronting the financial system. Admitting you have a problem, as any 12-stepper knows, is a crucial first step towards recovery. Instead, it supports the biggest banks. It authorizes the Federal Reserve Banks to provide as much as $4 trillion in emergency funding the next time Wall Street crashes. So much for no more bailouts talk. That is more than twice what the Fed pumped into markets this time around. The size of the fund makes the bribes in the Senate's health care bill look minuscule. And yeah, the guy's right on. That's how things are done up in that corrupt system. And that's the same across the Western Hemisphere. It's utterly corrupt now. We're lobbyists and bribery and all, and it has been for an awful long time. It says, oh, hold on, the Federal Reserve and Treasury Secretary can't authorize these funds unless there's at least a 99% likelihood that all funds and interest will be paid back. Too bad the same models used to foresee the housing meltdown probably will be used to predict this likelihood as well. The bill also allows the government in a crisis to to back financial firms' debts, more bailouts, so the bondholders can sleep easy. There are more bailouts to come. 
the, the legislation does create a council of regulators to spot risks to the financial system and big financial firms. Unfortunately, this group is made up of folks who missed the problems that led to the current crisis. <laughs> they didn't miss them. They didn't miss them at all. Don't worry, this time regulators will have better tools. Six months after being created, the council will report to Congress on whether setting up an electronic database would be a help. Maybe they'll even get to use that internet thingy. (laughs) This group amongst its many powers can restrict the ability of a financial firm to trade for its own accounts. Perhaps this session should be entitled, Yes, Goldman Sachs Group and Inc., we're looking at you. The bill also allows regulators to prohibit any incentive-based payment arrangement. In other words, banker bonuses are still in play. Maybe Bank of America Corps and Citigroup Inc. shouldn't have rushed to pay back troubled asset relief program funds. The bill kills the Office of Thrift Suspension, a toothless watchdog. Well, kill may be too strong a word. That agency and its employees will be folded into the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency. Further proof that government never really disappears. Since Congress isn't cutting jobs, why not add a few more? The bill calls for more than a dozen agencies, there you go again, to create a a position called Director of Minority and Women Inclusion. (laughs) People in these new posts will be presidential appointees. I thought too big to fail banks were the pressing, pressing issue. Turns out it's diversity and patronage. Not that the House is entirely sure of what the issues are, at least judging by the two dozen or so studies the bill authorizes, about a quarter of them relate to credit rating companies, an area in which the legislation falls short of meaningful change. Sadly, these studies don't tackle tough questions like whether we should just do away with ratings altogether. Here's a tip, do the studies, then write the legislation. Under consumer protection, it says the bill isn't all bad, though. It creates a new consumer financial protection agency, another agency. The brainchild of Elizabeth Warren, currently head of a panel overseeing TARP. And the first director gets the cool job of designing a seal for the new agency. Oh, wow, they'll have fun with that, eh? My suggestion, Warren riding a fiery chariot while hurtling lightning bolts at Federal Reserve Chairman Ben Bernanke. Best of all, the bill contains a provision that, in the event of another government request for emergency aid to prop up the financial system, debate in Congress be limited to just 10 hours. Anything that can get Congress to shut up can't be all bad. Even better would be if legislators actually tackle the real issues stemming from the financial crisis, end bailouts, and for the sake of my eyes, write far, far shorter bills. So, ain't that the truth, eh? The more things change, the more they stay the same. Well, they have to stay the same because, as I say, they've taken everybody down. The country's getting taken down, especially the U.S. What, a, what an attack they've had for years now. Incredible. But again, they have to. I've read out articles here from the big greenie groups, remember, that are financed by the big foundations, the multi-trillionaire boys, who've said they'll never allow another America to exist. Never. And they've even said some of the leaders, too, that were all at Copenhagen meeting there, meeting with all the politicians, they even said they should dismantle every factory, every big business in the United States. That's what they want. And they're doing it. They're doing it. They've certainly dismantled all the small businesses following Britain's lead. 
Britain was doing that at times of Maggie Thatcher. But then again, Carl quickly said that eventually only international corporations will be the big employers. And that's happened in a lot of countries already. And it's wonderful too, I keep mentioning and comparing Britain with the US because you see everything that's happened in Britain over the years is to happen still in the US, even with its national health care system. And as I say, I've read the RAND report that the government uh, requested they do for the Obama administration. And what they, the RAND did was look at Britain and found ways to cut all the corners out of Medicare, basically, this new system they're bringing in, this mandatory system you must pay insurance for, and all the things you won't be getting, what it won't be covering. It's the bare bones minimum. Exactly, as I say, what the UN Charter calls for. As the UN says that every nation will have, have a minimum health care system. But once they put it in, too, it affects every facet of hospitals. A lot of hospitals, especially in national health care systems, depend on charity to get the equipment and even the materials, often, that they can't get from the government. So they're going after the assets of charities now in Britain that fund the National Health Service. And it says, this is Tuesday, December 29th, 2009, it says here. And it's from the Mail Online. Ministers could swipe, this, ministers in Britain means politicians, could swipe £2 billion in National Health Service assets as they move to nationalise charity donations. We're totally under communism. Ministers have been accused of planning to seize control of two billion in assets managed by hospital charities. Critics called the move a secret plan to slash National Health Service spending. More than three hundred million pounds handed over every year in donations to children's hospitals and cancer charities could be nationalised. They can't leave anything up. They've got to get their hands on everything and rob it blind. Under new rules coming into force in April, hospitals will have to list income and assets from their charitable arms on their main balance sheets. This is Great Ormond Street Children's Hospital in London, which received £60 million in charitable donations in the year April 2008, is likely to be hit hardest under new rules to nationalise donations. There are fears that this will see donations to health charities subsumed into the general health budget, which already faces huge strains due to Britain's soaring budget deficit. Why have they got all these budget deficits but they can go and fight wars across the whole planet? Hmm. Getting back to the article, it says the effect could be to deter people from giving money and put pressure on hospital bosses to channel donations designed for one thing into other areas of their budgets. Ministers could then use the change in accounting procedures as a Trojan horse to cut funding to hospitals with successful charity wings in order to stretch the National Health Service budget elsewhere. Uh, the cons they've done under this uh, Sovietized system is astonishing. In the past, I've read some of them on the air when the government demanded that they, just like that overnight, just, just have more wards available. And so they, got, they get inventive when you're given an order and they're taking the wheels off trolleys and corridors and calling them wards. That's all been done. 
And then the cancer patients, of course, were all given questionnaires as to when they were going to their holidays. That was one of the questions. Then they're all given their time to come in, given to them when they knew they were all away on holiday. Then they went back to the bottom of the list to wait for another two or three years or till the grave, basically. There's no trick dirty enough that it won't be done. And the U.S. is looking forward to copying this exact same system. Quite something, eh? The Soviet, Sovietization of the world, really. But uh, people in America thought that would never happen. Never happen. And I saw it years ago happening. And so did many other people that have been watching. And now, as I say, you have governments that are completely out of touch with it. In fact, they don't care what the people think. They really don't care what the public think anymore. It's dictatorship time. And it has been openly since 2001. It doesn't matter what puppets in, in front there or, or what party is there. Interesting that every gadget they give out there, every, every scientific gadget, especially for the children, always has many different purposes apart from changing society. When you look into the definitions of what science is, in fact, one of the main definitions is something introduced that changes society and social behavior. From radio, television. Television was a great one for changing society and behavior. And then, of course, the, the Internet and the, the various gadgets, iPods, all the rest of it. And the guy who was designed uh, or came up with a Twitter company is into another area now where it's got a gadget that can be attached to your mobile phone and credit cards can be swiped through. So anyone with one of these phones and this little get plug in gadget can take credit cards wherever they go, take payments. That'll change things too. But what also is coming out, not in the same article, but it's coming out in the the Bluetooth and all the other gadgets out there is that the children now will have an emergency eco button built in with a link direct to some government agency that will locate them exactly where they are pinpoints it and they can take a photograph of some adult doing an eco crime like maybe not doing their garbage properly and stuff like that so that's big you think it's all by chance why Why would private businesses be putting things in there that are on the cutting edge of the political spectrum or agenda? Why is that? Why would they be helping the children become uh, a whole generation of spies, apart from the fact they're getting brainwashed in schools, that, that the adults are all to blame for the world's problems and the devastation of the world's ecosystem? which is all nonsense anyway. There's nothing done by accident. And I've said before, the big corporations that are out there are not independent businesses. All through the Cold War, they said those with the, big, the highest technologies would win the Cold War. And therefore, they couldn't allow any private company to spearhead in its own direction and come out with some gadget or gizmo they would bypass all the control of the CIA or the Pentagon. Therefore, the CIA, just like Britain, 
and MI5 and X6 put out real international corporations. And now you have dozens of them, all run by guys who retire from MI6 and the CIA to make sure they're all on board together and they don't let anybody come in to the game going off in their own direction with their own particular formats outside, say, Windows or whatever. That's why they made Bill Gates the king boy. He was made to be who he is. His company couldn't fail. Even if he sat on his ass all day and did nothing, except read comics, couldn't fail. It was guaranteed. People think they're really living in a world of free competition and independent. Look at the big companies. I've read the articles on the air with Sony and Toshiba and all these guys and what they're really into. Brain chips and all the rest of it. You think that's just to entertain you? That's a political agenda to have everyone brain chipped in the future not too far away for control purposes. And it will be sold as, my God, you'll be in virtual reality anytime you want to be. You, you could even be in your own movie, in your head. But I'll tell you, who's going to be doing the programming? It ain't going to be you. And if you're not in charge of what's going to happen in your head, then bye-bye. Bye-bye. And you can Twitter away to that, too. Back with more after this break. Cutting through the matrix. And for one last article, it's about to do with, again, recycling, silly things like recycling laws. These are all training us in ways we don't understand. It's not just to do with recycling, it's to do with obeying, obeying, obeying. Because many new laws will come along the pike in different areas and you'll, you adapt, you see, you start learning to obey. That's what all this is about. And this article here. It's from the SF Gate, San Francisco, uh, and it's from the 10th of June, 2009. SF, uh, San Francisco, okay's toughest recycling laws in U.S. Uh, throwing orange peels, coffee grounds, and grease-stained pizza boxes in the trash will be against the law in San Francisco and could even lead to a fine. The Board of Supervisors, Board of Supervisors, voted 92 Tuesday to approve Mayor Gavin Newsom's proposals for the most comprehensive mandatory composting and recycling law in the country. It's an aggressive push to cut greenhouse gas emissions, greenhouse gas emissions, and have the city sending nothing to landfills or incinerators by the year 2020. San Francisco has the best recycling and composting programs in the nation, Newscom said, praising the board's vote on a plan that some residents had decried as heavy-handed and impractical. And it says, um, it's expected to take off this fall. It calls for every residence and business in the city to have three separate color-coded bins for waste, blue for recycling, green for compost, and black for trash. Failing to properly sort your refuse could result in a fine after several warnings. On Britain, I think you don't even get the warnings anymore. They just give you a £500,000 fine on the spot. But Newsom... Uh, Newsom and other officials say fines will only be levied in the most egregious of cases. Fines for almost
almost all resident customers in many small businesses, anyone who generates less than a cubic yard of refuse a week are initially capped to $100. Businesses that don't have proper bins face escalating fines up to $500. And what they're doing with the compost is giving it out back to the public, supposedly, those ones that have their gardens to grow food, saying it's this nice and pure stuff. And tests have been done on it that the stuff is absolutely polluted. <laughs> absolutely polluted. But what's new, eh? What's new? So there you go. Uh, under all this guise of helping them out, they're poisoning the public. But again, that's another part of the agenda, isn't it? They don't want a, a healthy population, certainly not a mentally healthy one, where people can actually think and start to become disgusted with all the totalitarian measures coming down the pike. And they might tell all these characters on their different boards to take a hike. Couldn't have that, eh? Far easier to poison them and make them uh, you know, dumb and happy. Well, as I say, that's basically the new year uh, coming in. And I think most of us have, have made it through so far. And I think, really, every year, and I know this for a fact, more and more people write and get in touch with me. More people wake up to what's going on and... Stuck at different levels, certainly. Some, some will fly through the different levels to the, the, the bigger picture. No, it's beyond just voting in people for politics. It's way beyond that. And uh, they know, too, that it's, a, it's time for the people to take back, take back their rights. You've got to take back your rights and demand them. They are your rights. So easy to lose, so hard to regain. As people have found in the past to their cost, as everyone knows, if they read history... But it's time to take them all back and tell these people that they are servants, regardless of big fat salaries they give themselves. I'd also cut those down drastically too and get some decent folk in. So from Hamish, myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. And may your God or your gods go with you.